get into the minds of the most influential and successful creatives on the planet. From EDM record labels, club owners, EDM event producers, music industry lawyers, managers, EDM recording artists, and key industry leaders. They are all part of the story when the DJ takes the stage. They push more than buttons. For everything you need to know about the EDM dance music scene, you need this podcast right now. Welcome to the Mastermind of a DJ podcast, hosted by Naughty Natalia. Welcome to episode number 11 and the beginning of season two of the Mastermind of a DJ podcast brought to you by the leader of EDM adult entertainment nightclub experiences, Vixen's Cabaret in Davie, Florida. Well, it's your naughty girl, Natalia. And as we make our way through the minds of successful creatives who move the EDM machine through the dance music jungle. Yeah, I know it sounds dramatic, but it's kind of true. I get the pleasure of meeting super Super cool studs like our next guest. And yes, I have to call him a stud because, well, I mean, that's what he is. His story is straight out of Miami. Lincoln Road, to be exact. And this Jordanian Cuban grew up working alongside his dad at his store, providing shade for tourists. Like, Miami doesn't provide enough shade. Anyhow, he was also working up a hunger, like a hungry lion in the cage to unleash his DJ fury. Well, he definitely made a name for himself nationally and internationally, gracing the stages of major EDM festivals and venues across the country. So when I knew that he was going to perform at Vixen's Cabaret back in September, I had to take the opportunity and run with it because his schedule has been in intense since then with his Catch Me If You Can tour and with his most recent festival, which was EDC in Orlando, where this guy crushed it. Uh, I would have to say that it's a pleasure to finally be able to play this interview for you now. Now, let's get into the mind of Obi Tawil, also known as Damaged Goods. So uh, we're here in the back room at Vixen's Cabaret. And with me right now is a gentleman who, I mean, thousands of people have heard, I mean, beyond without a shadow of a doubt, have made some major, major impacts in the dance music industry, damaged goods. Hey, yo, yo. <laughs> what's going on? And this this interview was like- giving me too much credit. I'm telling you, come on, man. There, There's so much behind you and so much behind your story. And you're someone who pushes more than just buttons, you know? I. I, I push a lot of people's buttons. <laughs> you make people move. Yeah. You tell a story through that. I do. You know, and that's what we're going to talk about. I, I really get a kick out of it. You do? I uh, love it. I, listen, if, if, you, if you've if you got like snarled remarks, I'm all about it because <laughs> I, I've worked in radio forever. So I'm like, dish it out. I love it. All right. So let's talk about you. Damaged goods. Obi Tawil? Yep. That is my government name. That's your government name. Yep. Where are you from? Uh, I'm born here in Miami. Born and raised 305. Uh, Mercy Hospital. Okay. Uh, my mom is Cuban. My dad is uh, Arabic. Nice. They met down here while they were in college and uh, brought little Obi into the world. Are you the only sibling?
sibling? I am technically of, of my brothers and sisters. I'm the oldest of five, but my dad was married a second time, mm-hmm. had uh, three other of my siblings. Really? But, and I am the oldest, yes. Uh, is everyone else involved in the music industry or are you the only no, one? No, not at all. Uh, not at all. No one does anything even remotely close to what I do. <laughs> what, what do your brothers and sisters do? Uh, my my second in line, uh, my, my sister, mm-hmm. she's in marketing. Uh, she does marketing for like huge companies. She's done marketing for like Porsche and and Verizon and Volkswagen wow. and stuff like that. Okay. Uh, yeah. My other siblings, um, one of them sells uh, like high-end expensive watches. Okay. Another one um, works with the uh, CIA and FBI. I doing... know I know not to fuck with you now. Yeah. <laughs> she does all the background checks if you're like applying to work. She's the one that does the background check. On oh, them. that's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. So like if you if you need someone to handle some business, you, you've got it. You've got the yep. network. I do. Yeah. And my little sister works with my father. Hmm. Uh, uh, he owns a bunch of properties and just helps manage the properties. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. So, Obi, so what brought you into the whole music scene? Obviously, in Miami, it's it's been such a such a great roller coaster of music. I, I'll say I did not come into this uh, expecting to DJ. Uh, years ago, I used to work for my father. He owned a sunglass store. Oh. I helped uh, manage one of the stores, and mm-hmm. I, I'd been working at the store since I was you know, 12 years old. And um, right around the time I got a car, no, I want to say I, I was definitely... I was hitting 21 at this point because I was finally going to a club. I didn't go into a club. I never even drank alcohol till I was like 21. I was, <laughs> I was, you know, fucking square. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> now all I want to do is get in trouble. But um, no, I was working for my dad. I just turned 21. At that time, it was, it was the time in like nightlife where everyone wore sunglasses in the club. Do you remember that time? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> where like everyone had a pair of sunglasses to go to the club. All the guys were, you know, if you, if you were really looking looking good. It was a blazer and sunglasses. <laughs> so my dad owned a pretty popular sunglass store and a lot of the like South Beach club promoters used mm-hmm. to come because back then there was only really South Beach and um, at least during the time I'm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. was South Beach and the street spaces on 11th Street. Right. Yeah. So all the promoters used to come, <laughs> come to, you know, my dad's shop and buy sunglasses from me. And they invited me, they would always invite me out. Mm-hmm. So I ended up at the time too, I was, I was driving a pretty nice car. So it was always easy to get like chicks at the time. Oh, wow. Nice. So I always understood though, <laughs> if you go to a club, you have to go with a majority of women mm-hmm. so that you're not like waiting. You're not like, you know, right. you're, you're taking care of. I, mm-hmm. I understood that pretty quick. <laughs> so I ended up going to all these clubs. These guys would caught me like a bottle. They'd always take care of me. I'd have a good time. And um, I mean, it's such a long story, but we want to hear it. I ended up just turning. <laughs> into this like party animal I would go to every club I would always have like a bunch of chicks and I would always end up for the most part just drinking for free because as long as I brought you know a group of my friends and mainly women um, you know I wouldn't have to pay for shit hey there you go <laughs> so one of the promoters one day he's like yo he's like if you can bring these girls to my party every night I'll pay you to do that and how old are you during this time I couldn't have been older than 21 wow if, if anything I just turned 21 uh, I was not DJing I didn't play instruments I you know I really was always into music Ever since I was a kid, I always remembered for some reason, I, you know, I always wanted to buy a CD. I always want it. Even when like, you know, I hate to be, you know, put shit like this out there, but even during the LimeWire Napster days, like I just wanted to have the most amount 
of music to have everything. Oh, your passion was there for it. No, you know, don't don't pardon that. Anyways, once you know, once this guy agreed to start paying me to bring people, I was like, holy shit! Like he was, he ended up. I think the deal was something like five dollars, and because that's how promoting worked back then. Mm-hmm. If you came, if you whoever you brought on the list, you got paid for that person. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like now it's mainly flat fees and mm-hmm. and table commissions, mm-hmm. but you got paid to bring a person. I think a girl was worth five fifty, and a guy was worth two dollars and seventy five cents. Wow, really? Something like that. And I remember the first club I did that for was a club called Pawn Shop, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, I remember Pawn Shop. In yeah. downtown, it was a it was a club that actually was an old ass pawn shop. Yeah. That somebody like bought it and turned it into a club. You walked in through the vault mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was an awesome club. One of, one of some of my best memories ever. Anyway, so now I'm making, you know, sometimes like for, for what was me, it was like, you know, astronomical. I was making sometimes like 700 bucks a night because I was like, I was a really good promoter. I was bringing 100 people a night to the club. Mm-hmm. Selling tables, like I, I was doing it. I was understanding, like shit, I can make, I can make money. Right. So you know, fast forward that year, I'm working for my dad. I'm still managing one of his stores, and I'm opening the store at 9 a.m. Monday through Saturday, and closing at six. And then you know, afterwards, you know, I couldn't wait to go party and I do it all over again. Yeah. But he saw that I was always out partying, and you know, I, I'd come to work very tired. Mm-hmm. I had you know little energy. Obi, and not known as Damaged Goods yet. We will get into how he was named that later on in the podcast, but he had discovered the power of promoting as a means to make that extra side cash hustle money. You know what I mean? But wait, he wanted to grow bigger, which means he had to expand his hustle to make more... And what I'm learning from Obi is that he does not take no as an answer. He takes no as an opportunity to prove himself right. Now that gets a double. Actually, hmm. skip, skip a little forward. Okay. I'm throwing my own party now. <laughs> I, I understand now that like... If you want to make even more money than just promoting, you have to have your own party. Okay. So I ended up taking over like a uh, this party that was on Thursday nights. Okay. I ended up getting like into like an argument with the DJ and, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was, it was, it was really, you know, in retrospect now, there's nothing more than I hate than requests, but mm. I made a request to, you know, the DJ that I paid. So mm-hmm. I assumed I should be able to right. get my request. He ends up telling me, no, we get into it. And he's like, if you think DJing so easy, you know, why don't you go DJ yourself? Mm. So I just fired him. I <laughs> Wow. I, I was like, you know what? He's right. I was like, I could just make even more money if I was to promote it, mm-hmm. sell the tables and be the DJ. So let's let's stop there. Where what club was this at or what was the name of your parties? Um, the first party I did was a party called Misfit. It was one that I, you know, I created. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have a DJ name, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But um, I was working at Pawn Shop. Mm-hmm. I was the promoter there and I ended up telling the, you know, the owners and general managers. I was like, yeah, I was like, I want to be a DJ. I was like, I'm going to DJ my own party. And they're like, absolutely not. You're like, like, you're not a DJ. You don't know how to DJ. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'll figure it out. They ended up telling me no. And I was like, you know what? If you guys aren't going to let me DJ, then I'll just take the party somewhere else. I was like, I already have the, you know, I'm a promoter now. There's like over a hundred, no, sometimes over 700 people like come into the club, wow. and, you know, back in, back in that time. Yeah. So I could have really done the party anywhere, but I wanted to do it there. Right. And we ended up there like, you know what? Fine. Fuck it. Like, just don't leave. You yeah. know, you could DJ. And my first night I ended up, you know, crushing it. Really? Yeah. I had a, I had another friend of mine that had helped me out. I 
kind of just understood that all I had to do was learn how to mix one song into the other mm -hmm. and beat match it. <laughs> Once that was done, it was like, that's why I always tell people that are like, can you show me how to DJ? And I'm like, it's fucking easy. Mm -hmm. You just mix one song into the other and then the other song right back in and then back and forth. It's there's there's it's one step to the whole thing. Yeah. Once you get that, you know, it's just practice. And what uh, what equipment were you working on at the time? At the time, they were these I went to because I had no credit. I had to ask my grandma, put it on her. Uh, you know, she That's had to, so freaking fucking humble, man. Come on. To, uh, That's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Cause even like, even if I was making money, I was like blowing through all of it. Mm. Uh, and I had no credit. So I asked my grandma to co-sign for me at Sam Ash where I got my first. Uh, Sam Ash. Yeah. Yeah. It was my first setup. They were Denon's, but they were these little tiny square ones. Mm -hmm. um, I, I forget what they're called, but okay. that was my first setup. There was no sync button. You know, I had to burn a CD. Right. There was yeah. No CDs, that's right. Just to, you know, make me feel a little older. I had to burn a CD. <laughs> but at the time, I had already knew what all the DJs were playing because I was going out to the clubs like five, six nights a week. Plus, I had like my, you know, my taste. And I was like, I just have to figure out a way to, you know, to do, to play all of it. How so. are you getting your music? For my older folk... Remember back in the day when you had to go buy your records at a real record store? Now, in the South Florida area, specifically in Fort Lauderdale, there was a location that stood the test of time for over 40 years selling the latest vinyl and cassettes of some of the hottest artists out, even in disco, which influenced dance music anyhow. It was called Peaches Records and Tapes, and their most successful store was in the Fort Lauderdale area out of a chain of 50 stores nationally. Now, it wasn't just for music lovers. I mean, you had athletes like Dan Marino, Daryl Strawberry, and Mike Piazza from the Mets who would show up to fulfill their musical needs, at least until 2001, when that store was unfortunately shut down. Well, because music became on demand on our phones, didn't it? Because the store that went up was the Hustler store. Yeah, you heard me right, Hustler. And I should know this because Larry Flint requested that I host a grand opening with my old dance music station party 93.1 i was getting everything mainly through uh like zippy share mm. when we were all like mm -hmm. a zippy share um a lot of like because a lot during that era and all my parties were were uh like all the hipster stuff right you know block party uh bravery mm -hmm. that kind of stuff so you know i'd have to either get it on itunes or some of these like blogs because that was when blog house was just emerging yeah so there was like palms out and gotta dance dirty can't remember all of them but, mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. a lot of them were poor quality, you know, remix songs that somebody made. Mm -hmm. um, nothing high quality. Till I realized one day, so I started playing in like, you know, clubs with better sound systems, how how much more important it was to, you know, have a 320 or a wave. <laughs> you know, I think it's really awesome that you, and, and this is the common denominator and with all the successful creatives that I've been talking to and what you have in common with them is if, if it's not, if it's got to be, it's up to me kind of attitude. I've, and I love that. I've learned that, you know, because even when it comes to like, like all the stuff that I design and create, like if you see me put it out, I had something to do with it because I just realized there's no way, it doesn't matter how much I pay someone, they're never going to understand exactly how I want it. Right. So I have to figure it out. Like I'm in the process now of like recreating all my new, like, you know, the, the visuals when you see me like DJ. Yeah. And I've gone through like six guys where I'm just like, as of last week, I'm like, fuck it. I'm just like, I have no idea how to create this. But this week I already created the first visual myself. I was like, I have to 
to just figure this out. So I just YouTubed it and, and figured out, you know, After Effects and, mm-hmm. you know, 3D rendering and all that. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I'm just going to have to do everything, you know, myself, which is what I, I usually advise some of these like young guys. Like, you know, you want a logo? That's expensive. Like, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it's cheaper to just buy Photoshop and teach yourself and, you know, create the logo that you, you want. I understand that sometimes people need like advice and, you know, creative direction. But yeah, man, I create everything now myself just because I know that no one's going to be able to, you know, you no know, one's going to be able to like really figure out what's in my head. Right. And well, there's even only, as simple as sometimes it is. There's only one of you. That's yeah. why, and then, you know, it, it, and you can't be duplicated in that aspect. Yeah. And it, what's to be respected here is the fact that you're taking, you're taking charge of your own life, your own destiny. And a lot of people just let things happen to them. And what you're doing is you're saying, you know, I'm making this happen. Where do you think that you got that kind of that trait? I don't know. I, I think uh, I had this conversation with a really good friend of mine. Me and him like say this every time we mm-hmm. see him. He's gone on to do some like pretty big stuff as as well. But it was New Year's one day. Um, the guy was down on his luck. Mm. I, I don't want to say down on his luck, but I know he was like in this weird place and he was asking me for some type of guidance. I had just done, um, I had just finished, it was New Year's and I played at the, the American Airlines Arena. I nice. had done, Pipple was performing there and I had ended up like getting to DJ before Pipple, like mm-hmm. a couple artists before Pipple, which was huge. I ended up taking a bunch of mushrooms and going to this other party. Oh, wow. Right on. <laughs> And, um, you know, he's like, how, how is, you know, what is it? And I wasn't even that, I still, to this day, I don't think I'm as successful as, you know, like sometimes you guys make it out to be, but you know, he's like, how is it that you're achieving all this? How is it that you're doing it? Like, there's really like, you know, no other way to put it, but like, if you want something bad enough, you, you have to make it happen. You can't rely on like, oh, well, I met this DJ and he plays my songs or like, oh, you know, I met this person who owns a club. It's like, you know, if you really want to be a DJ, like, you know, and you want to play in front of like a thousand people like you got to make it happen you're gonna have to actually promote that to get a thousand people there you're right you know like and that's and you know and that's that's a fact because a lot of these djs and from back in the day i i don't know from from those that i've worked with it's always been this they have their group of people their entourage of people and and you just build the village and it is important to promote yourself and a lot of these djs now today think that well it's up to the club and the reality is is you have the following you're the just like you were talking about when you were doing your parties at uh, at pawn shop, you have the value. You have the people who believe in you, who follow you. They understand what they can expect when they when they're around you. Yeah, correct. That's yeah. important. Some people don't have that talent, man. Like a lot of times, like you know, even fast forward a little bit. You know, I when I first started DJing, like what I was really into, like I said, was this like electro hipster, mm-hmm. you know, justice, Daft Punk, bravery, you know, and I was also in this mindset that like that's the only thing I'm going to do. And that's, that's all that I play. And that's the kind of DJ I am. And then, you know, I get put into these situations where it's like, you know, well, you can't, you can't play every night if you're just going to play this because this music is really only popular on Thursdays for your party. Mm-hmm. So I had to learn how to like be a reggaeton DJ, how to be a hip hop DJ, how to do like open format, how to do, you know, a wedding mm-hmm. all because of like, I wanted to achieve more. I wanted to like keep this thing going. Like I knew that just doing one kind of genre wasn't really really what I wanted to do. What I really like to do is to DJ. So, and it took a bit of that to like figure out like your identity. Yeah. Cause where would I be right now if I was still just playing the same thing I was 12 years ago when I started? Wow. That's powerful. You know, like I definitely wouldn't be here. I, you know, I, I get to play five nights a week just cause like I'm able to, you know, chameleon through this and, and I enjoy it. You know, I would love to play like definitely the kind of music I would like to all the time, but I also just really enjoy to DJ. If people dance, that's, 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 
that's what I realized wh- why I was in it. That's your purpose? Yes. What What do you feel when you see that, when you experience that? It brings me so much joy. Honestly, mm-hmm. just being able to control a crowd and like to determine if their night's going to go good or bad because of me is... Is, um, That's a pretty powerful place. Yeah, it's just you know, and I, and I keep chasing it. That's why sometimes, like on a, I'm I'm always hard on myself if I feel like mm-hmm. I had a bad set or I really wasn't able to you know grab the crowd. Right. Yeah. Have you ever had a moment when you were playing for a room and you cleared the the floor? Um, I'm sure, honestly, I'm sure there was times, but I do remember another time that uh, I was in Atlanta and I was playing this this like rave. <laughs> Superstar DJs have their moments of breakdown, but that's where they find their breakthrough in success. Now, after the break, we're going to find out how Obi, which has yet to work under the damaged goods name, got himself a true reality check that he finally cashed after he crashed at an event. And it paid him really big. Plus, he tells us a story on how after he had his rites of passage as a DJ, he shares how he had to kick off an internationally known like super big DJ by the name of Green Velvet from the DJ booth. The reason at this point, well, it isn't surprising and you're going to want to hear it. So stay with us. Get into the minds. Mastermind of a DJ podcast. With Nani Natalia, will return after this. Want a sensory overload of pleasure? Vixen's Cabaret is leading the way in creating unforgettable nightclub experiences in the Broward County area. Only minutes from the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino and downtown Fort Lauderdale at 3050 Burris Road in Davie, Florida. It's Naughty Natalia and at Vixen's Cabaret, they are the leader in EDM adult entertainment nightclub experiences by booking some of the biggest names in the EDM industry from Marcus Schultz, Damaged Goods, Lavelle Dupree, DeVille, Mr. Gray, DJ Zog, DJ Laz, and the list will go on. Now, when you walk in, make sure you look up and get taken away by the jaw-dropping live aerial acrobatic entertainment provided by the Sexy Circus. And to heat things up, they have live fire shows and fun interactive entertainment that becomes memorable while listening to your favorite EDM beats. We know that you have family coming in town and would want to show them a good time, or you just need a break from them. No worries. Vixen's Cabaret will be the destination to be for pre-Thanksgiving on Wednesday, November 24th, as they have the man, the myth, the legend, DJ Laz, host of Totally 93.9 FM on iHeartRadio and of Mr. Worldwide Pitbull's Globalization on SiriusXM, performing and celebrating his 50th birthday bash, where we anticipate some major celebrities to turn on out. And then after Thanksgiving on Friday, November 26th. Of course, it's Damaged Goods who's going to return to rule the decks where he promises to drop some straight fire out of the speakers. In the meantime, listen to the end of the podcast to find out who they have booked for your December as it promises to become epic at Vixen's Cabaret. Welcome back to the Mastermind of a DJ podcast with your host, Naughty Natalia. 
doing some type of hallucinogenic, but I took some acid. <laughs> hey, man, you're not I alone. took some acid and just went into this like really intense, like industrial techno set, you know? Yeah. It's very Gasolstein, very like, you know, it was, it was hard <laughs> thinking in my mind, like I'm fucking killing it. So I look up for a second and I'm just like, everyone's like looking at me like I'm crazy. Like it's a standstill. Oh man. People are like, what are you doing? And what do you, what do you do in that moment? Or how were you feeling in that I, moment? I usually just like in any situation where I feel like, which uh, I'm not tooting my own horn, but like. <laughs> you should if, toot your if, own If horn. I ever like lose them, I'm always like, you know what? Let's reset. Mm -hmm. Let's start again. Because one thing I do is I, I'm constantly observing the crowd. And as a DJ, I think what really makes me a good DJ and is the fact that I'm now able to to look at a person and kind of be like, you know what? This looks like a person that kind of like, this is a hip hop person. This is a poppy girl person that mm -hmm. wants to hear, you know, mm -hmm. some Spice Girls. <laughs> you know, these are some EDM heads. Like these are some shufflers over here. Being able to understand like a person and giving a little bit to everyone to keep everyone happy is, mm -hmm. is, uh, is, is the true art form. You know, I, I find the, um, not the philosophy, but I would say I find it, there is an understanding that happens through music that you're speaking to them and they're speaking to you. And as a DJ, you have to be a master of reading body language, really. Yeah. Like you you guys can literally be like FBI agents. You know how they have those, uh, they read the body language of people oh, yeah. and, and can, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've become a very good judge of character, I, I believe, um, which is the hardest part. I, I tend to tell the, D, you know, anytime I, anyone asks for my advice, I see a lot of these like, uh, you know, because I, I, I use a laptop too. I use Serato, but I never have the, the computer directly in front of me. I never block my line of view, which a lot of people, you know, for, for comfort and mm -hmm. making it easy, it's right in front of them so they can just click. But, you know, then you're focused on your screen. You're not really looking around to see, you know, who's here, who's having a good time and how to how to somehow keep everybody happy. There's a connection that has to be established. Yeah, because, you know, like, you know, places, uh, for example, like, uh, like D.A.R.E. I was at D.A.R.E. last Saturday. There's a whole range of people that go there. There is. I mean, there's like, there's people that come for the main artists and want to hear their stuff. There's the Latin people that just showed up because they know this is the place to go. There's a bachelorette party. There's a bachelor party. There's, you know, somebody that just left a concert walking in looking for a good time and they don't know what they've walked into. So you got to figure out how to keep like everyone happy because keeping one section of a room will never work. Do you find that that's a lot of pressure on you or a lot of DJs when they when they start evolving? Not for me, but like I, I can see how, yes, it, it could be it could be very difficult for someone, you know, who doesn't have because like if you went through my library, there's there's everything from deep house to drum and bass to reggaeton to, you know, unreleased confession music to <laughs> tech house to techno to mid-tempo to Moombaton. I have everything. So I'm like properly prepared to go in any direction that everyone wants to go. Um, but yeah, I could see how, you know, somebody who's like very stuck in, in their ways or, you know, and, and I've seen this happen a lot of times too, where an artist gets booked at a club where he probably shouldn't have got booked that the club hoped that he would bring in a bunch of people. But, you know, he shows up and, you know, it's a different story. I had to kick off Green Velvet one time years ago. Oh man. That was the craziest <laughs> thing i ever seen. Like they booked him um, for like this house party gig um it was, it was really ball and party that used to go on on sundays at set i don't know if you remember yeah, i forget right. what it was called but they booked green velvet which i ended up becoming i don't want to say friends but i ran into him a few times and we shared the story
story. They booked him. It's sold out. In walks in this Chinese billionaire dude who wants to hear hip hop and starts spending, you know, infinite amount of money. Yeah. So. What happens? You know, they're like, yo, you're going to have to go back on and play hip hop. And I'm like, what, what about what about Green Velvet? Like, tell him, tell him he's done. I was like, he just started like three minutes ago. He's oh, on his first song. God. So I went up to him and I was like, yeah, I was like, this was, I was also like, uh, you know, this was like maybe three or four years into my like career too. Mm-hmm. I'm a super fan. I never met, you know, yeah. artists this big before too. And I'm like opening, closing for Green Velvet. And now I got to kick him off. And I'm like, hey man, um, there's this guy here and he, he wants to hear hip hop. Do you have any hip hop? And he's like, <laughs> I don't have any hip hop. And he was like, very like, just like answering my question. Like he wanted to help me, but he didn't. I was like, well, they want me to play some hip hop. Oh my he's God. like, am I done? And he, I'm telling you, this might've been his first or second song tops. Oh my gosh. He goes, am I still getting paid? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, fuck it. He's like, go for it. He's like, I'm out of here. And he just <laughs> left. And he's like, really nice to meet you. And he left. <laughs> and so, there you go. So I went on. But like, yeah, I've seen that happen a bunch of times where, you know, you book someone and then the situation changes or mm. it's not what the club expected. Wow. So I'm, I'm really liking this. Wow. You're so great to talk to. <laughs> you're so great to talk to. So, all right. So Obi, how did you come up with the name Damage Goods? So um, when I was DJing at a pawn shop, I didn't have a DJ name. I was just going by like OBT. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it would change like weekly. If I was like very sarcastic and I'd always give like a stupid name. Uh, and, the, and the girl would have to put it on the flyer. There was like a marketing girl that made all the flyers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just like always so in love with her. And I asked, I would always ask her out on a date every, every weekend because <laughs> she was always at the club. Uh, she would actually she would do the uh, flyers at night, mm-hmm. you know, and then she would do the door. Okay. So I'd always ask her out and she, you know, cause she saw I was like a bit of a hoe <laughs> and she told me one night, she's like, she's like, you know, so I was, she's, I would ask her out relentlessly and she's like, I would never date you. You are damaged goods. She's like, in fact, I'm going to put that on the flyer next week. And she put it on the flyer and like, I didn't think much of it, but after that, like people were always like, I like that name. That's cool. It's funny. Yeah. Like this and that. And it, it, uh, it ended up sticking. A similar situation happened to me and how I got my name Naughty Natalia. So I was working at a one of the previous clubs that the owner from Vixens owned and the one of the DJs that you'll be meeting here tonight um, at Vixens, I was working with him and this was for a Tuesday night amateur contest that I was hosting. And of course I said something super sarcastic because I love sarcasm by the way. And of course he goes, you're so naughty Natalia. And I'm like, oh, I love that name. I'm gonna, sold. It's sold. Done. You know, so I've used that as, as my name and here I'm at 47 years old with that name, but fuck it. Well, well, uh, what the funny story of this all was is, you know, this girl said she would never date me. Shortly after we started dating, I ended up dating her for like four or five years. Get we even lived here. together. What? Yeah. Oh, wow. So. Um, wow. And what happened to her? She ended up, um, we, she was, she's an amazingly wonderful person, but we were just too much alike. Um, and uh, she ended up moving to Los Angeles and doing like, she always loved doing wardrobe and props. Mm-hmm. She ended up doing that uh, for some pretty big movies. That's I, cool. I, I can't name them, but like. Like, uh, I know, I know she's pretty active in the movie game. Very, very cool. Wow. So what would you say your, how, how, how would you say that your parents describe you? Describe what it is that you do? I don't know. I mean, I, I think, uh, truly like, you know, I think that, (laughs) I don't know if they know exactly what I do. I mean, I know that they know I'm a DJ, but they, they, I don't, I think they think I'm just like a heathen. (laughs) Heathen, he says. I'm just out all night (laughs) drinking tequila, hanging out with strippers. And is that what you do? Yeah. Do you want some tequila? Tequila right now because I think I want tequila right now. If you're buying, I'm listen. I'm buying. Please hold while I and the heathen take a quick tequila break. We'll be right back. Um, 
Well, I mean, we took another shot, so just please hold again. Yeah, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't know if they actually know. I know my mom knows I'm a DJ, but like, I don't know exactly if she knows what it entails. Really? You know, I, she actually came to see me DJ one night. Mm-hmm. It was back when I used to play at this one club and I would, I would play all night. I would play from 10 to mm-hmm. 10 to five. So she ended up coming from like 10 to like 11. Cause like for her, 11 was just, Aww. you know. How, how did she react to that? Did- yeah, she, she was, she was happy, you know, but I don't think, you know, she's never seen me play a main stage festival. She, she you know, she doesn't, really? you know, she sees some of these videos I post and I'm, I, I'm, I'm sometimes wondering like where I fall on the will. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did your parents react when you told them you're like, listen, I'm just going to start doing these parties? Oh, well, I actually, uh, that was part of the story. Yeah. So I was working for my dad and I was showing up, you know, sometimes late mm-hmm. and uh, always tired. Yeah. So he ends up firing me. Get out of here. You know, my dad fired me after, you know, I always thought I was going to take over his company. I was, I was going to, you know, oversee it. And, you know, he fires me one day and I was just like, I was like, fuck. It. I was like, I hate working for that guy. Anyways, I was like, I just, I was like, I'm making so much money, so much more money DJing. Yeah. If I could just figure this out, I bet I could do something with it. Do you feel that your fire and uh, your desire to make it is a way to pay respect to your father for not? I think there's just part of me that's like, you know, and I love the guy. I have no like, you know, he's super happy for me. He, mm-hmm. he loves telling people like I'm a DJ. Aww. Um, but I, I, I do. I there is a wonderful feeling I get inside. To be able to have for the last like, you know, 12 years not had to have, you know, a job, yeah. a real job. Yeah. Because my first, my only job, really my only job I've ever had is working for him. And, uh, you know, the fact that I am able to, you know, to provide for myself in the way that I have just off of this for so long and, you know, it doesn't seem to be stopping. Mm-hmm. I definitely get a kick out of that because it's kind of like, well, you know, you thought this wasn't going to work. Hmm. Most people don't think it's going to work, but there's nothing that I can't do. How was it for you when everything stopped? Because every Everyone dealt with with COVID in their own way, right? Now you you deal with residual income, right, from your productions. You yeah, but I mean, like nobody makes money from music. They don't, right? It's all gigs. Yeah, I mean, like even if you you know, for the people out there that you know, they're just starting making music and thinking, like you know, I've met people that have Grammys and they're broke. You know, like right. it's it's not you know a million plays on on Spotify is five thousand dollars. Yeah, which is you know it's mm-hmm. it's a lot, but it's not enough. You know. And to get a million plays is not the easiest thing. And to do it so many times, it's very difficult. And without labels and, and stuff like that, it's very difficult. So it's very difficult to make music or make money for music. I feel like I've lost more money making music than I have. <laughs> but but the fulfillment factor behind it, though, is priceless. Well, for me, it's like, how, how do I, I don't know how to put this. Like, I do get it. I love making music. I just, I realized that I, it was when I started doing this uh, open format club called Louie. We got asked to do this party and we ended up brokering a deal. I, it's like a <laughs> Another long story. But anyways, I went in there to do what I thought was my sound mm-hmm. and what the club wanted. This was a club making $100,000 a Friday, you know? Wow. I was affecting, I was directly affecting their sales by playing just whatever I wanted. And I went from making, because after like, once once I was like crushing it in the promotion game, there was a big like drop in my like career because the two major clubs I worked at like closed down. So I was left kind of like not doing much. So I ended up taking a job doing, uh, the only gig I had was this Sunday night party at this place called Black Sunday, which is now Don't Sit on the Furniture. Yeah. It was called Bella Rose, I'm sorry, but we mm-hmm. did a party called Black Sunday. If I got paid, 
it was 50 bucks and I'd play for like nine hours. Holy shit. Yeah. It sucked, but it was the best thing that I ever did, you know, in retrospect. Huh. Um, anyway, so the guy's like, yo, I'm going to fire you from this club. Like you're fucking with like, you know, the, the music sucks. And I would always get into it because like this was supposed to be my party. It was supposed to be, you know, me and my, my cruise party. We mm -hmm. were doing something that was supposed to be different for South Beach, but I get it. And I went from making 50 bucks to making like 500 or a thousand dollars, you know, what? you know, my third, fourth year into DJing. And I was like, I, I just, I left that day. I was like, I got, I, I don't want to get fired. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. <laughs> this is like too easy. I need yeah. to just like give in. So that, that week I downloaded every Pitbull song, every Flowrider song, every LMFAO track I could. <laughs> I went to like different clubs and I just mashed it all together mm -hmm. with the stuff that I was playing before. And it was like the club owner came and was like, I don't know what happened, but he's like, that was one of the best sets I ever heard in my life. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm glad whatever happened happened. And it was then that I realized like, yo, like it's not that I want to DJ a certain kind of music. It's that I just want to DJ. Right. And what do I have to do to DJ for more people, bigger crowds? And I learned that I was like, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to do like Steve Aoki. I got to make my own songs. I got to do like Calvin Harris, make my own song. And then, then I'll get played, you know, booked mm -hmm. to play bigger clubs and bigger festivals. So I started learning how to make music. How did you start doing that? I uh, ended up getting um, Ableton, which I immediately like just hated. And, um, you know, I took a buddy of mine, gave me some crash courses. I tried making some stuff. You know, it all sounded like shit, like everyone else's. Mm. And I met up a, a really who became a really good friend of mine and my, my partner in a in a side group that we had called Caligula, mm -hmm. which was all dubstep. Um, this guy was a super talented engineer and um, could teach a class in logic. Mm. And throughout working with him for like two, three years on our stuff, I learned you know, I learned, I learned really good. You know, I'm fucking awesome because of what he taught. Nice. Nice. Um, and you know, a lot of it just came from like, I didn't take any school, you know, I didn't go to any school. Not that I don't, not that I recommend that, you know, mm -hmm. I kind of like in retrospect, I should have went to one of these like. Like full sale or something like yeah, that. Yeah, just to get like all around. Cause like, even to this day, like I get compliments sometimes on like, you know, my EQs and I'm, I just, I don't even know how to explain it. Cause I'm just like, I don't know. I just tweak it till it sounds right. Like it's the ear, you know? So, <laughs> but, um, you know what you're looking for, though. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, and it all started with like trying to mimic someone's song that I liked, you know, and then to today we're now like, yeah, honestly, like during the pandemic, I had a discussion with myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> not to sound crazy, but I was just like self. <laughs> Yeah, I was just like, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to, I need to find out what it is I really want to make, mm. you know? Because at this point I was like, I, I, I don't want to like keep following trends. Because if I'm just going to play everything, it's hard to, you know, make 20 different style songs and right. have like a style. Just play everyone else's stuff that's hot and I'm going to create my own lane. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've kind of been working on now. Mm. I've had like a few remixes and um, that, yeah, are, that, yeah. are, that were that came out and another one is scheduled to come out. But I think for 2022, um, I'm going to have a, a sound... I'm going to try to find myself in a different sound. What do you do? And what are those rituals that you do when you're in your studio and you're, you're having that moment to to find this new identity? What I learned with with uh, with Marcus, he does Dakota. He has like his own, yeah. uh, you know, his own deal. And I think Tiesto does that. I also think uh, uh, David Guetta does that too. Yeah, Jack yeah, House. Yeah. Do you think you're going to come out with something like that? No, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> to like, be no. honest. No, I, um, you know, I, I think um, I, I, I had a discussion one time 
time uh, with this producer. And, you know, this guy is, has, you know, endless wisdom. He has what I wanted, a Grammy. He's got like every accolade. He's got billboards. He's got Spotify, billion plaques. Like he's got it all. And this guy came from a certain world and then ended up in a completely different one. And he one day told me something that I would never forget. And he's like, do you know what I think the best song in the world is? Mm. I'm like, it's like, I don't know. Any, any, and I thought it was going to be one of the ones he produced. And he told me it was Fine China by Chris Brown. Oh my God. And I was like, I was like, fuck. I was like, it is a good song. And then I heard it. And every time I hear it, I, I listen to it. I'm like, the quality of production and the fact that this song will be played for the next hundred years and not go out of style. Right. I was like, that's what he wanted. He wanted something that was timeless. And, you know, Tiesto is awesome, but like, are we still going to be listening to Boom in, in you know, 50 years? <laughs> no. And I don't mean it in a bad way. No, but, I totally get what you're saying. But it made me sad, like, honestly, making a song that I thought was like my best work, it charting, it getting played by everyone for two months and then completely disappearing. Yeah, the lifespan of, of production work, that's why I was asking, you know, it's uh, you've got to build as much volume as you can, production per production per production. Uh, and that's how you build that residual. If if you even survive in the residual game with with these songs. Honestly, I've, it's not impossible because like, I mean, you obviously know, like I, I work for Confession and I work yeah. for Chami, like watching what that guy has achieved and how he did it his own way is is proof for sure that, you know, you can not only own your own music, put it out and control it and be successful with it. You know, he pioneered his own sound. He created his own label. He puts it out himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, up until recently, like he owns everything. Like it's not yeah. owned or he, he's not getting a percentage of it. He owns all of it. All of it. So, hmm. you know, there, there is there is ways. And that's what I want to do. I want to find, uh, you know, I, I want to find the sound that truly makes me happy and that I really enjoy making and that doesn't sound like everyone else. And, you know, in 20 years, people still play it. Like I did this one song. It came out on Fool's Gold. It's called Where Do You Go? Hmm. It's very different from almost everything I did. But it was like when I made that song. Song, I was like the happiest I had ever been. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, this, 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 this is what was calling me. Like, mm. I made this without listening to anything as a reference. Okay. So, and to this day, like, still when I talk to people, almost every time anyone gives me a compliment on my music, it's always like, oh my God, I love Where Do You Go? Mm. I love Where Do You Go? I play it, I play it all the time. <laughs> Even the, 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 some of the people that I'd least expect to tell me that have told me that. And I'm just like, holy shit. <laughs> and I looked back, you know, especially during the pandemic, and I was like, what would have happened if I just would have stuck, you know, to, to that right. instead of trying to make pop music for some artists instead of trying to you know make hip-hop beats instead of trying to make like big room instead of trying to make dubstep instead of like why not have, you know what would have happened if i would have just stuck to that sound that i that i was just feeling you know yeah so yeah. that's that's during I the pandemic <clears throat> during the pandemic you know some of these remixes were great opportunities mm. and i needed some like alternatives of them to play in the club so it, it worked out but um yeah this new stuff that i'm 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 looking to kind of make is very i've been really inspired by like during the pandemic all I really heard was a lot of like UK radio. Okay. So a lot of like the two-step and the garage and the, a lot of these these like samples over like M1 organs with a two-step beat. Mm-hmm. Like I want to do something that I just want something that's in the somewhere between pop and dance, but also kind of not four on the floor. Hmm. Okay. Makes sense. So let me ask you, what what does the term successful creative mean to you? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> honestly, sometimes like I wonder like if I was at a Tiesto level, would I even still be, you know, would that suffice? Really? Yeah. You know, because I've always been a person who like wants more and like I don't like the ride to end. So I'm always working as hard as I can to keep it going. Do you get bored easy? Are 
the kind of person that gets bored easy? Yes, incredible. Yeah. Very. What sign are you? I'm a Gemini. Ah, that's why. Also, in my in my old age, though, I do. Uh, Your old age? I do have less tolerance and just bored of everything. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? I'm 37. You're 37. I'm like way older than you, man. Are you kidding? Your old age. You are not old. <laughs> I feel like I'm 100. Though. <laughs> you are not. So, tequila, t- kids out there, tequila does age you. Uh, it really does. My dad didn't have a gray hair on his like you know body. He told me until he was like 46. Really? I got a beard full of gray hair. I think it's the tequila. The, and the salt lack and of pepper sleep. looks really good though on you, man. I appreciate it. I, I get girls sometimes that are like, "Oh my god, I love what you do with your beard." I'm like, what? Did, I mean, I, this, I just what is uh, what is one of the things that you think people misunderstand about you? Um, sometimes people think I'm like mean, really, or unapproachable. Really? I get that. I get that a lot. I, I I don't see that. I I don't see it either. But I I get that a lot. You have like a really warm, like inviting energy to you. I think once you talk to me, but there must be something about just my face. Do you have like a resting bitch face kind of? I deal? guess I. But I get that a lot. People say that I'm unapproachable. Really? Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. And so, if you could talk to your 18 year old self now, what would you say? Buy Bitcoin. <laughs> Buy Bitcoin, <laughs> buy crypto. <laughs> really? I would be like, buy as much fucking crypto as you can. <laughs> Is that your deal now? Is that your like side hustle right now? No, but yeah. if I would have bought it when I was eighteen, uh, you know, and different story. I would have right? owned the state of Florida. Oh shit. <laughs> But no, um, no, I just, you know, I've always kind of had this like mindset, which I don't know that it's the best, but I'm always like, like, fuck it, just go with it. No matter what, we're going to make the best out of it. Whatever happens, we will figure it out. Yeah. And I would just like 18 year old me to know that like, yeah, we're good. We figured it out. You know, we did it. We did it our way. And um, yeah, we don't have to wake up early. You know, for the most part, I haven't had to do anything I don't want to. That's, that's living your best life. It really is. What do you think you've sacrificed the most living this life though? Um, I do feel that it age you. You know, I do feel like I probably suffer from like sleep problems and there's got to be some type of mental imbalance from like spending more time at night than there is in the daytime. You know, and just like, I think up until the pandemic, I wasn't giving, I was so focused on working. I would take, you know, sometimes two and I've done three gigs in a day just because wow. like, I don't want to say no to things, but um, you know, just, just take more time for yourself. Uh, I, I wish I would have done that, you know, and taking my care of myself, you know, my health, my mm-hmm. mentally, and just been wiser instead of just always just having a good time. Listen, there's nothing wrong with a good time. Uh, do you have investments in other aspects of business that have nothing to do with the music industry? Um, during the pandemic, like most people, um, you know, I got my loan and I, I immediately invested it in stocks. Um, I got pretty good. You know, that was what really saved me during the pandemic. Okay. But uh, month three, I was just like, you know, I was like watching my bank account get lower and I was just like, I got to figure out something. My manager told me how he invested in stocks and he was making money, parked it in some stuff. And it, so I took my money and I, I started day trading. I would wake up every morning at somewhere between like seven and eight and start day trading all the way up until like four, you know, then after hours. And I got pretty good at it. And I ended up starting to make like 10,000 a month from. Dude, you like get good at everything you set your mind to. I love it. I, I was just like, <laughs> I'm all about my money. So I was like, I got to figure it out. And honestly, that kind of gave me a little bit of mental, mental break during the pandemic. Cause I was like, I was like, all right. I was like, we can't DJ 
okay, but we, you know, there's still, you know, we could still do stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. So last two of the last questions. Uh, if you weren't a DJ and you weren't a producer, you weren't damaged goods, what other career do you think you would have right now? I always wanted to be a cop, like a firefighter. Really? Yeah. You like saving people? I think that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like to save people. Do you think you're like a lifesaver on, on as a DJ? Though? No, but I think like <laughs> not in a bad way. And I'll probably get the cop. I'll probably get pulled over after this by a cop. Oh, but I'm like, no, no. all the cops that I knew growing up had like had the easiest jobs. Like yeah. they're always like slacking off, making tons of money, great benefits. Mm-hmm. You know, they had secure jobs. And um, like my my uh, my brother-in-law is a firefighter and he has just he has just figured out how to work as little as possible. And I'm just like, wow, that's a good job. Yeah, it's like 10 days out of the month or some shit like yeah, that. Yeah, but right? even when he's there, he always figures out how to like not do anything. <laughs> and the last question of tonight. And, and there's I- not as many fires as you think. No. And kittens and trees. Kittens and trees. So the last question. Yeah, it's the last question. What will you do when the party is over? Uh, get a lap dance. <laughs> <laughs> Only at Vixens. Only at Vixens. Home right. of the best lap dance. Well, Obi, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, really nice to meet you. Thank you for having me on the show. No, and you were, I mean, this was such a great conversation and we will continue this conversation. Cool. And, uh, and thank you for being here tonight at Vixens Cabaret for your performance. We, I definitely look forward to hearing your set. Yep. Uh, any last words for our listeners? Um, you know, don't give up on whatever it is that you guys want to do, whether it's DJing or, you know, any being an astronaut, just follow it through. Follow through. And follow I, me at I Am Damaged Goods. There you go. <laughs> oh, it's naughty, Natalia. And that was our exclusive interview with one of the hottest DJs and producers right now, Damaged Goods. It was so cool to just like sit down and shoot the shit with this guy where he's not pretentious. He's pretty objective and knows what he wants. Now, the success he is experiencing right now comes from the years of hard work and 100% commitment to what he's doing. Well done, OB. I can't wait to see him this Friday, November 26th at Vixen's Cabaret. Now, I'm asking everyone now to be part of our online community right now at mmofadj.com. And if you have any feedback from this or any of the other episodes of our podcast, I most definitely want to hear from you. Now, since Mastermind of a DJ podcast is an alliance with Vixen's Cabaret and Groove Cruise coming up in January. Uh, The lineup of interviews from some of the biggest names in the dance music industry is beyond what I have ever thought possible for this show. So please make sure you turn on your automatic downloads after you subscribe for our show on any of your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss a thing. Now, the month of December will be monumental at Vixen's Cabaret as their customer appreciation party is going down with the ever so talented Mr. Gray for December 3rd and 4th. And then come December 17th, yes, it's official. Paul Oakenfold will be in the house and I get to interview him. So this is going to be really cool. Now call for your table reservations now at 954-649-5795. And fam, I thank you so much for listening. The gratitude is huge from my heart. And I want to make sure you catch our next week's interview with my first female DJ on the show. It's Nifra, fresh from her festival performances from throughout the world and from EDC Orlando and recently at Dream State in California, who I heard literally tore it up behind the decks. And her story is really inspiring. So please be good to yourself and each other. And don't forget to keep on dancing. Thank you for listening to the Mastermind of a DJ podcast with Naughty Natalia. 
Follow us on our social media handles at Mastermind of a DJ or log online at mmofadj.com. Get into the minds.